I'll, I'm going to cut it short on the basketball t- topic. I don't want you guys like feeling cramped by, <laughs> cramped by my, no, nah, I creamed my 12 year old. Nice. It was a, it was a good feeling. We really established who's dad. Good, good, good. Keep it humble. But, but we had a good conversation actually before the game. Um, you know, I said, Hey, I'm going to whoop your ass tonight. And I said, but you'll know when you're whooping my ass and that day is not too far away. So I'm going to enjoy tonight. <laughs> that, was, that was our conversation. And I can just see it coming. Like, you know, that point where it's like, you're better than me now. Gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. That's a uh, turning table. Your your kids are a little older, Ron. Uh, any any experiences where you're like just like oh my god? Well, you, we 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 actually touched on that a little bit when it came to like cars. I would imagine maybe snowboarding, like some of the stuff that you started yeah. to see. You're like whoa. Yeah, both my kids are better than me at snowboarding. Um, both my kids are better than me at climbing. Both my kids, everything that we ever introduced them to. Um, they've, they've surpassed me. So I, except, I didn't mean except to... debate. They cannot <laughs> debate me as well. Mm, well, that they, you, boys listening in, yeah. you may be listening in yeah. at a point in time where you, this is no longer true, but uh, when you do listen in, make sure to uh, bring it to the table. Um, I want to welcome you, Christina. And um, in, introduce you to our listeners. Christina Flint is an educator, and we've never met, nope. but I <laughs> am a fan already. Thank and you. And I'll tell you how I'm a fan because when a parent is vocal in social media mm-hmm. about how delighted they are where they're the teachers of their, of their kids. That is an uncommon thing. And um, (laughs) for an educator geek, such as myself, I was like, we got to meet this person. Plus uh, just the name of your, like, I was like, well, who is this? You know? And, and of course I started trolling, right. That's the word. Right. (laughs) So I started trolling you and I discovered this just badass school for that I don't know entirely too much about and and hence why you're here but um we're really excited to have you and we thank you tremendously for you know I know this is a thing that you do every week and you know you're just like okay I'll schedule you guys in amongst all the educational (laughs) podcasts that we that I have to attend God okay one more for the locals (laughs) um but yeah, so how about you share a little bit, um, just as an introduction of your school, um, you know, brief history uh, and where it's based out of and, you know, and, and we'll kick off from there. Yeah. So um, it's funny you mentioned the cool name of my school because I actually, there's a long story behind everything, but it actually came to me one night. And the next thing I knew, like I had a list on my notes, on my phone, and I was like, okay, I want to make, I want to make my dream come true. And I was like, okay, so what, if I was to send my children somewhere, names matter to me, 
you know, presentation matters to me. And, you know, I I do judge at that first look. I do. I, I can't say I don't because I do. And (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, and so I was like, I had this whole entire list in my head. And then I I looked and I laughed at my husband. I was like, (laughs) children of the wild. Isn't that so funny? (laughs) He's like, "Yeah. yeah, no, that's good. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And it's like, it just kind of took off from there. Um, I'm located in Casco, Maine. Um, and this is brand new for me to venture out on my own. Um, I've never run my own business of any kind besides just straight up mothering my two Hmm. kiddos, um, 12 or 11 and one and a half almost. So busy, busy, busy. Um, I, this all kind of, um, was born over the last couple years where I was working in an outdoor classroom in Portland and it brought a lot of things I've always dreamt about seeing in childcare and early education. And that was being outside, letting the kids get messy, letting the kids do art. That's not us creating an animal and saying, (laughs) here, stick these here, stick these here. Like they're just going to town with paint spinners and like throwing paint and painting with rocks and twigs and probably my phone because I leave it everywhere. So it's like (laughs) they just could create and they could be themselves and we could look at their art and say, oh, I know exactly who made this because they did rainbow, 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 rainbow. And there's no white on that page. And then we Mm. could see a line and we'd be like, I know who did that one. Love this art. Mm. Like it's so precious and it's wonderful. And you know, the kid who only paints with like yellow or green. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Seriously. It's when you let those come out, you can really know each child individually simply by looking at a piece of paper. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That's super cool. cool. So, so how long has uh, children of the wild been open? All right. Take a guess. Um, I'm thinking this is, uh, your second year and COVID was a great, like, let's do this sort of thing that happened for you. You are wrong. (laughs) This started in November of 2022. So I was probably a fan of yours before it probably even opened. Yes. (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. Wow. This makes this even cooler. So so you are. Wow, like four months into it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, that man. Is yep. Four months in, full books, and so many ideas. <laughs> Christina, um, and, and, and you're really framing a great conversation because something that brought Ron and I together was actually the entrepreneurial venture of education mm, because of a certain... Um, disenfranchised feeling with what was possible in other, you know, um, systems. Um, I like the positive twist that you did, and that was very well played. But far too often, what happens with the disenfranchised educator is a is not a leap into entrepreneurship 
and a pursuit of the dream that you mentioned. It's actually succumbing to disillusionment and just trying out a different trade or enduring the painstaking aspects of a career, I don't know, in public education or something. So not that it can't have its wonders, but, you know, if you're happy, great, stay there. And if not, and you've got something else itching, uh, go for it. And it's so wonderful that we're having this conversation right in the midst of it all. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's um, it's been a wild four months. Um, I feel like I haven't slept much. I feel like I've worked <laughs> just nonstop. But, you know, I, I'm going to be 30 this year. And uh-huh. I've always worked under somebody. And when I did work under these people, so many people had good ideas and good intentions. And there was always something more that I could envision with these places and something more that I, I know I could bring and I would try to bring, but you know, the big man would always shoot you down because you don't have a degree, believe it or not. I've been told that a few times. So it's like, (sighs) it was very, um, discouraging. It, discouraged the job. It discouraged my, my way of thinking of my future. I'm like, I said so many times, I was like, I think after this position, I'm not going to be in early education anymore or the caretaking field. I've always been in it, loved it. It's, it's my jam. Like Mm -hmm. if I can take care of you, I'm going to like, it's just what I enjoy to do. And when I found myself sitting here and saying those things, I was like, something is not right here. Something's not right. I loved where I was, but just to be in a position where you don't feel as valued or you're not being heard because you don't have a degree in X, Y, and Z is kind of like, so my creative thinking doesn't matter here because it doesn't have a piece of paper for you. Or, you know, and so finally, you know, we had, we actually also just moved into this house in September, the month before all this happened. So (laughs) way to to pile it up. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The the other thing I wanted to really like, you know, eventually touch on is the fact of like er opening up an early childhood school that wants to focus on the outdoors in Maine, as we're about to go into like the brutal winter. Well, that's like, I, you know, and that, you didn't like say, hey, let's open this thing up and test the process in through the spring, you know, and summers in Maine are beautiful. It'll work out real perfect. By then we'll have our ducks in order. No, you know what? Let's move into a new house and open up a school. How's yeah. your husband doing? <laughs> Yeah, no you joke. know, he was honestly the one that pushed me to do this. I mean, he, he knows where my heart always is. And me, I was like, oh, finances, finances, finances. And he's mm-hmm. like, well, just give it a go. Try. And it's like, as soon as that name came, just something clicked. And it was mm. all in, like, everything I had has just gone straight. Like, I'm just going. Yeah, and and tell us a little bit about um, your connection with like the word wild. Um, you know, when I hear the word wild, it's it's really difficult for me to not remember um, 
moments in which Robert Bly described for me, um, well, for us, Ron and I worked through a lot of his materials, in particular in, in one of his books, uh, Iron John, he has this whole section in which he describes the difference of, of wildness in a man. It was a, a book on men um, versus the idea of becoming a savage. And he contrasts those in such a wonderful way. And, and, and then thirdly, he kind of, you know, mentions the domesticity of, you know, man that is neither wild nor savage. <laughs> that crystallization enamored me with the word um, in which he described wildness. Well, I don't know if he did in this way, but I certainly remember it in this way. Um, but but it, it is the, the, the warrior that knows how to dance and also how to slay and when, both of those. And the act of killing is full of grief. Um, you know, even if it is the enemy, um, and, and there's far more to it, but there's a time where you could have the possibility of slain and you choose not to, you just dance in the victory without it. And so the hues and nuances are, are, are necessary. And, and I realized at that point, you know, this goes back to a lot of the things that, you know, like, what do I want as a teacher 10 years ago? What do I want out of the kids that I'm working with? Well, if you just study education, you you miss out on a lot of stuff. And so, well, I realized like, well, I want my kids to be wild, but that is, you know, really misunderstood. Um, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, like what, one of our main goals of children of the wild is for your kids to be wild. Ah, okay. Well, we're taking our money somewhere else. <laughs> That's a good question. I'd love to hear where are you coming from with that? Christina? Yeah. So I loved everything you just said. That was really interesting to me. And it's funny how, like, when you said the word wild, I thought of how I found my wedding spot. And then when you said savage, I instantly went to Game of Thrones. So it's just funny how, like, <laughs> when you're talking, I was, like, you know, my mind goes to what I naturally think of in those terms. But um, it's a way of life and it's a way to find happiness and peace without needing whether it's somebody else or an object or anything that's not the ground it's not the like it, it has to be the dirt and the trees and like the smell of the leaves that's just like my favorite so mm. when mm -hmm. I got married we decided to kind of like elope up in Acadia and the morning of our wedding we actually went out early in the morning and just walked through a ton of trails along like the rocky coast to find mm. where we we're going to say I do. And I did the whole thing barefoot because <laughs> I like to be grounded. Uh, and it's wow. so funny. I texted my, my grandmother and I was like, and I told her cause she does like a lot of shaman work and they have traveled all over the world. And, you know, she just has always understood that part of me. So she was like, well, that makes wow. sense. You're a Taurus. You need to be grounded. And I'm like, oh, okay, wow. <laughs> checks out. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, that... it's just a way of life. Just, you know, when you're a kid and like you have, or I hope you have those memories of when you're just playing outside and there's dandelions and it's sunny and you hear those bugs that always cicadas, I think they're called. And it's just, it's my favorite and it, it's just mm. happiness.
so what 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 is a day like uh, for the children of the wild? Like, do you have an actual school building? So here's another funny story to this whole adventure. Um, the house we bought is an old Spurwink building. So it was used for a day program for adults who are working their themselves back into, you know, everyday life and workforces and picking up trades. So our house literally has six bedrooms. It's one floor. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's one floor. I'm literally sitting in a room right now that we haven't touched. So you can see like the metal door frame. <laughs> and the uh-huh. door okay. Door. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's been crazy, but you know, I, I threw so much paint, um, on my walls and I can send you guys a picture of the space that I painted, but I mean, our whole entire house is painted other than like our bedrooms. Cause I don't, nobody's going to go in my bedroom. It's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, so we created this house. When you see our house from the outside, it looks like a business building. Mm-hmm. When I had a family come tour here, they were like, I laughed because they literally said to me, they're like, we didn't think this was going to be an actual house. <laughs> I was like, wow. no, we, we do live here. And I love them. They're so great. They, they chose me. So yay. <laughs> so the, the school is based out of your home. Yeah. Yep. So 7am, the doors are open and unlocked. Kiddos and parents come in and Um, one thing I love about my space, regardless of age, I don't do, um, enclosures. My house is like one big circle with the middle part being like our basement stairs, kitchen, stuff like that. But otherwise it's a complete circle that you can just run through over and over and over again. And I don't my, so when I brought my son to, uh, childcare, when he was just like four months or so prior to Mm -hmm. this new adventure. Um, he didn't like pack and plays. He didn't like, we had this one space that was for two and under, even though it's not, it's not a center. It was a home. Uh, so our older kiddos didn't typically go in there during like the morning times and stuff like that. They had other things they could do in this other room. And my kid hated it. (laughs) You close that gate. He was screaming at all Mm. of us. And I was kind of just like, it bothered me. I was like, man, you don't like being in enclosed spaces and like, neither do I. So I I get it. And so that's one thing I do here that even with my six month olds and, and under, I mean, they're, they're crawling around. I know there's nothing dangerous on my floors because mine crawls and puts anything and everything in his mouth. So it's safe, you know, and I had a parent actually say to me, she, she's like, I am so glad that you don't use pens. I'm like, pens they're not dogs like what (laughs) (laughs) i was like the most pen that we use is like our pack and play is for our infants who need to sleep on their backs and stuff and can't be on the cots and i'm just like (laughs) it's one of my favorite things (laughs) and i think it plays a huge part in the kids and how they how they come into me each morning you know Mm -hmm. like it's almost like they're coming to another home rather than somewhere they have to be focused and quiet and right find their manners <laughs> is this a common model um in maine i have not seen it um okay. <laughs> i've worked in multiple um i've worked in family child cares which is home based and then center based which is a big 
building with multiple rooms where infants and toddlers and preschoolers are all separated. So that's very common uh-huh. um, in centers and stuff. And one thing about my previous place of employment um, was it was all mixed ages. And I did see the benefits of having infants and um, young toddlers with the older preschoolers. And, you know, there was a lot of social emotional work going on there. That was, you mm-hmm. can't get when you separate right. them. Right. So and, Christina, and right- what, sorry, what, what are the, what are the regulations around um, mixed ages or how does that work? So there, yeah, there's um, a limit to how many of each age group you can have. So I can have three that are under two and then three that are two to five. And then I believe like this is as a solo um, care person, like there's no other person with me and then two, five and up. So I can, I think it's like eight children alone I can have. Okay. And then it just jumps through all those numbers through the ages. Uh, okay. So right now you're the only full-time staff member there. Yes. One woman and, show. Uh-huh. And you, your son, right, is one? Yep. yep. And he stays with you? Yep. And then you have his friends that come every, you know, Monday yep. through Friday. Yeah. And what time do they go home? Well, a lot of people typically don't <laughs> show up until about 5.15. I close at 5.30, so. <laughs> oh, wow. That yeah. is a, and how many children do you have right now in, in your Currently, home? Currently, um, not all at once, but a total of like six kiddos or counting my own, I have six, so five that are. Uh-huh. Um, wow. <laughs> oh, my wow. gosh. So great. Yeah. And what are their ages? Um, I have a little girl who's six months starting next month. And then I have a little boy who's six months. Yeah. And then I have a twins who are one half and then another one-year-old. And then somebody who will be two in June. So all right yeah. at that nice young age. <laughs> <laughs> so wonderful. Wow. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> so Christina. How have you seen just in the short time that you've had all of these children together, how have you watched their social emotional development? What have you seen out of that exchange? Uh, Because you have your, your child who's one, but, but then you can play off of that. You get to see really how that dynamic works. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, it's been very interesting because with the younger kid that I have the six month old, Um, it's funny because I've noticed there's some, like, I don't, I don't know if you'd call it jealousy, but I noticed my son becoming more clingy when I'm feeding Mm. this little guy, his bottle and, you know, and it's fine. I'll put him right up on my hip while I have the other little guy, like in between my feet. Cause I always tend to feed like that, but, um, it's, it's interesting and I'm really glad I'm doing it because it. I want to be able to show my son that like, yes, I can sit here and I can love and care for all these other children, but you're not going to go without, you know, I'm, I'm, Uh we're all going to be here. We're all going to love you. And, you know, I may have to pay attention to these people a little bit longer and they need, may need a little bit more support from me, but you're going to be okay. And you can help Mm. me with these things, you know, eventually. And then um, with my older kiddos, 
it's all of their first childcare experience. So none of them are used to being away from their grownups. Wow. Right. Okay. So it's the, the first few weeks I've kind of just sat back and made everyone as comfortable as possible and just let them go about how they would normally go without be interfering because uh-huh. I want to see what works for them. What doesn't work for them? What, what are their cues? What shows me that they're tired? What shows me that they need some sort of, you know, support from me or some help with self-regulation. And one thing I have found to be the best thing is to just always being at their level, being on the floor, not standing up over them, not sitting up higher than them. Like when we're eating, we're all eating, you know, together and I'll get down on a little chair and like hang out with them and just be <laughs> at their level. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you just said it, but that's my next question is, you know, I'm very accustomed to seeing early childhood done in these very segregated classrooms of like, okay, these are, these are the six to 12 months old. The, these, this is the one to two. Da, 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 da. And then everyone moves through the ritual of eating in a center like that based on someone else cooking the food, blah, 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 blah. And then they bring it in and then they distribute the food. And then there's always a, it's it's a question of like, okay, well, do you engage the students in the ritual? How do you engage the students in the ritual of food? Do you give students jobs? Do you allow them to pour water once they get, you know, old enough to pour water? Do they do kids have a job in that? Do they are using disposable, you know, plastic and throwing that away? What is your process? Because you're, you're in this really intimate environment with your house. How do you move through the ritual of food with your, your kids so far? Yeah. So funny story. Um, like I said, my house is all open concept and my kitchen is pretty open concept as well. So (laughs) Tonight I was making, um, pulled chicken in the crock pot for tomorrow and they are so curious if they're not in the cupboards, you know, they're at me, like wanting to try whatever I'm messing with. And I always like involve them, throw something on a fork, pass it down to them, see if they like it, see if they throw it on the floor, like messes are okay here. And we, they're all very young. Um, from the program I had come from is, you know, we used open cups that were glass, we used glass plates and just like you would anywhere else at your own home and in on your dinner tables. And so I'm striving to continue that. Um, but we just have these like little, um, they're like baby versions of these kind of sure. like little Stanley Yeti cups. And uh, I just use those and it's been fun because this week was working on the open cup system with all of them. And (laughs) I don't know how much water was spilled on my floor today, but it was so funny because as they spilled it, you could see them be like, Hmm, now what do I do? I don't have any water, but I also have this fun thing to splash in, but Oh no, my pants (laughs) are wet. I don't like that. So it's, it's been fun. And I just always include them and what I'm doing. And then, you know, as soon as they're a little older and can start helping me with like baking and cooking, I want them to be involved. I want them to say, you know, I want to bake cookies today, or can we 
cook lunch with you or can, you know, stuff like that, where they can feel involved, but also get those life skills and the gross motor and all of the stuff that comes from just letting them be in the kitchen with you. Right. That's beautiful. What, what, the way that you described the spill of the water, I mean, you, we can imagine some people would be, would sort of be like, ah, right. This is a problem. There's water that's not in the cup and it's on the ground. Like, let's solve the problem. Yeah. And instead it sounds like you just allowed it to be this complex learning moment where all of these things are, are happening. Yeah. You know, that's from a cognitive perspective, that's being at the child's level, right? Like being saying, what are they thinking? How are they processing this? How do we allow them to process that in their own authentic way? Um, Because all of that learning translates to, you know, and and it progresses to something later on. Right. If we're always saving them from those those experiences or, you know, at, at worse, even chastising them for it. <laughs> so it's, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's not really thinking through the lens of what it means to be that age. So it's a beautiful example. And Christina, did you have a similar age group that you were working with? Um, like, how long were you working with other age groups? Were they, were they similar? Um, well... So I have only worked one real retail job my whole life and it was maybe for a year. Um, and then other than that, I have worked with literally just other humans in caretaking. So I've worked for the VNA where I took care of elderly. And then I worked at Woodford's family services where, you know, I went into an adult's home and helped them, you know, live the best life they could possibly do. And I did so much work there and I loved that job so much, but then I moved back into childcare again and I kind of found the places that were for me. And then I found the places that were not for me. And Mm -hmm. it's been all the ages I've seen all the parts of life and, Mm -hmm. you know, what is important, what's not important. What can I do to ensure these children are getting the best childhood that is possible, mm-hmm. you know, without yeah. money, without going to shows and water parks and all the cool things. But like, what can be the simple, most beautiful life for a child? Right. Wow. Will you follow or will they follow or will you follow these children, hopefully for many years, like, or, or what's, I, what's the longer term as you imagine it? I know, I know it's just getting started. My goal is to have all these kiddos through school. Like I would love to get mm. them to kindergarten. That is my goal as to, like when I have a family walk in the door and we decide that we were good fits for each other, I want to have their child through all those stages. And oh, then I want to be if they're local, hey, before and after care school, you know, I just mm. it's more than a job. It's mm-hmm. like the job is like the smallest part of this whole entire thing for me. Mm-hmm. It's just what I can bring to these children and their families because I had my first son when I was 18 and man, did I did, I, I learned so much <laughs> and there are so many things <laughs> yeah. I would do differently, but it's like, I just want to provide all the things that I wish almost like that. I wish I could have done with him and also uh-huh. myself as a child. So He's 11, bit. right? Your, uh, yeah. your older son is 11 and, and yep. they're both boys, right? Yep. 
Uh-huh. And what is he, what's your older son's name? Anthony. What does he think of his house becoming what it is? So funny. You should say that. Um, <laughs> before we had our Fletcher, which is the one-year-old, um, he never wanted siblings. His biological father has kids that he had afterwards and it, it just didn't go well with his experience with siblings. So I think he just that thought that that's how it was going to be. And when I ended up telling him we were pregnant, he was like, um, I don't know how I feel yet. <laughs> and, and he loves it. Fair, he is, fair enough. God. Right. And he, and we, you know, we didn't push it on him and we weren't like, you have to love him. You have to be nice to him. Well, I mean, obviously you have to be nice to him, but like, you know what I mean? You don't, he, you don't force those relationships. You just can't. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, that was my next thing. And it was something I talked to him about before I kind of pulled the plug before I was like, Hey, I'm going to make this a childcare. I was like, what would you think of that? He's like, Oh, I'd love to have kids here. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's just, it's such a change over the last couple of years of, you know, where life has been and where we are. And it's exciting because he's actually like my little helper every day. He'll come home yeah. and like help me clean up at the end of the day. And it was funny tonight wow. we were talking and I was like, you know, I really appreciate you cleaning up at the end of the day. Like it, this, this is such a huge help for me. I don't know if you know, but I just want you to know that this is such a big help, even if it doesn't wow. seem like much. And he goes, why wouldn't I help? <laughs> I'm wow. like, well, okay. I'll remember <laughs> that when I ask you to do something else. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Christina, I love I loved how you when you were describing like all of the ways that in and the demographics and the age groups of people that you've been a caretaker for. One of the things that that I've seen in early childhood in particular is a sort of a stark distinction between caretakers and educators. Um, one that's for me personally perplexing. Like I don't it took a long, long time to sort of understand that there was a difference between how caretakers saw their, their role and how educators saw their role. And what I see most of the time is that caretakers tend to look at themselves as averse to risk. So how do I eliminate all of the risk out of my environment? Whereas educators mm-hmm. are like, how do I get them to learn all the things that they need to learn? which, you know, inevitably means introducing risk. But it's what I'm hearing from you is a caretaker's perspective on understanding the people that you're working with so well and the relationship with them so well that that educator role is just naturally a part of being a caretaker, which is so refreshing. I, like I have to tell you, like, it's so unusual, at least for, from my perspective, it's super unusual. And it's like, oh yes, that is being a caretaker. <laughs> and so why yeah. wouldn't it be like, why wouldn't education, Gosh. you know, and, and, and that be, uh, be that perspective. But um, I'm wondering like, how did that evolve in you? <sighs> well, um, you know, there was, a lot of different 
seasons of my life that had led me a bunch of different places. And I've seen a lot of things. I've heard a lot of things and I've just kind of decided over the last couple of years, really, that life is short. Tomorrow's not promised. The people we have are not going to be here forever and they may not be here tomorrow. So what's important to me is how can we make the things we do when we wake up and start our day after our cup of coffee or tea, how can we make a difference? And it's not always with a degree. And the thing Mm. with me is I fight myself so much on going back to school and I'm like, well, I I catch myself talking to myself and saying, well, if I don't have this degree, how is somebody going to take me seriously? How are they going to know I am professional or how are they going to know that I do know what I'm talking about without a piece of paper stating that I do. And I don't want to lose that part of me. And I think that's why I've stayed away from going back to college. I've been to college a few times. I wanted to do um, forensic psychology and I did that for a year or so, maybe two. And it's just, it's almost like you gain a different way of thinking. And I just love where I am and I love who I am and I want to stay that way. And will knowledge change that? No, not necessarily, but I don't want to feel like I have to do things a certain way because I learned that that's the way you're supposed to do it, or that's where you get the best results or, you know, cause I mean, how does anyone really know what's going to be best for a kid they've never met, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh, honestly, I think that what you said before about like, that you want to build experiences that you either loved having it as a child or would have loved having as a child, right? (laughs) Like that is such a good place to move from and make decisions from. And it's something that I think is as rare as anything in the early childhood fields is like, which is surprising to me. Like, again, you're dealing with these people, like think back to what you would have been attracted to at that age what were you attracted what are the the moments that were just so powerful that you can't forget them today it's why i always move towards tree houses because when we think about you know and we do this in movies we do this in in all yeah. sorts of media where it's just like okay we want to represent like this magical childhood space. Like, where, where's it going to happen? It's going to happen in a tree house. Of course it's going to happen in a tree house. <laughs> how many, how many early childhood facilities have a tree house? Like how, <laughs> right. how many, like it's yeah. this thing that we replicate all the time because it's part of, it's part of the imagery that we associate with a quality and, and vibrant childhood. And yet, it's almost non-existent in the space for early childhood within our public institutions yeah, or private. It would be lovely if we had college education programs that were aimed at sort of saying, all right, everybody, oh, you know, oh, 
everybody just start a list of like, what are the things that you remember before you were, you know, before you were in kindergarten that just like stuck with you? Like where, like, did you want to go to the gas station with the dinosaur on it? Like with the big statue of the dinosaur, the Sinclair dinosaur, is that where you wanted to go? Did you like, what was it that drove you at that, at that age? And then how do we work on making the environment that kids are coming to be this thing that's so monumentally attractive and, and, and powerful and magical that they will never forget it. Yeah. It's when you mentioned, you know, how we almost wish that colleges could be a certain way. It's almost like we need education to change. Like it's just my friends have three kids and they're all very close in age and she would just torture herself on my kids not talking right right now or my kids not writing yet they can't spell their name and I'm like well they don't need to it's not time they're not even <laughs> in kindergarten yet it's it makes yeah. sense and then you know she worries about them getting behind and I'm like and I mean they're all doing great and they're thriving but it's like I wish I could have taken that worry from her. I couldn't stress it enough. And I tried telling her, but as a mom, I understand like, you know, if you worry, you're going to worry regardless of what anyone tells you. But it's like, that's what people focus on writing and spelling and colors. And it's like, that's not how they learn by repeating K, K, K over and over when they're writing with a pencil, like they need to know how to hold a pencil first. Wow. Right. Wow. That's going to be a stick. <laughs> wow. I am delighted uh, just hearing from you because, you know, one of, the, one of the things of not interacting too much before having you is we, we get to experience all of this surprise. <laughs> you know, my wife and I uh, were in early childhood education uh, for a while, primarily in China. Um, and we kind of came to it and, and, and whatnot, but, um, we definitely both, uh, went through a lot of that, not having a degree and kind of forging a, a pathway. And I couldn't commend you more for what you're doing because it's evident now why you wanted to just get together and, and, and talk about education because, largely the product of all of that is is not something that's fully alive and ready for for the beauty that comes from the simple things what do i what do we do in our school i open up my home we have home together and, and the yeah, kids go home, home. right oh. and 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 really like um you know early childhood educators that have those experiences realize that if anything, like what I experienced, because our when we went to China, like our kids were kindergarten age. So we were able to, you know, have uh, early childhood programming that our kids could participate and we could, you know, just be together as a family. So, and what I loved through all of that and what I'm missing right now, because right now our kids go off to school, is mm. that, for example, writing. Writing is something that I love. I, I am a writer. <laughs> um, 
But the way that writing is happening right now in my youngest, that's 10, is devastating. And yet I don't have the time anymore to participate in it in that learning as for example, I could before when it came to, you know, I want my kid to explore environments. Well, he's with me all day long. We have all of the, my kid is with me 24 seven. Right. Um, and so there's this really beautiful thing in which by being um, an educator that also has your child participate. There, there, there's a lot of difficulties that come with that too. And we can talk about those, but there's such a beauty in being able to explore that and see all of that happening for the children you're working with, but also for your own child as one big family when that doesn't exist. Oh my gosh. It is really hard to adjust to Ron knows too. Cause for periods of time, Ron, Ron had his kids right yeah both of my kids grew up within our when carl and i were in costa rica when we met uh we started a studio school which you know was kind of a home that was open for any age so it didn't matter whether if they were six months or 80 years old <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. okay yeah you can be here um <laughs> Uh, which was beautiful in its own way. But my kids would go to you know, school during the day and then come to the studio environment after school. Uh, so they they actually got to have one foot in each of those mm-hmm. worlds um, mm-hmm. for for the time that, that we were there. That all ended when we came back to the United States um, mm. because life here is more of that, okay, each parent needs to go out and get a, get a job and you send your kid to school and school, you know, happens until three thirty four in the afternoon. And it's what Carl is experiencing right now where he is no longer a part of that world. And so I admire folks that are able to keep a hand in that, keep mm. themselves in it some way, not to yeah. say, you know, not to create a bubble and not allow them to experience anything else, but this myopic control, um, which I think is, is a sort of cliche fear about, you know, anything that's called homeschool, but rather kids are good with multiple adults in their lives. And they're really good if their parents are still involved. Um, They're not going to be worse off because their parents were involved. And so why do we have this, sort of knee-jerk reaction, you know, in some, in some cases against the parents' involvement. We, we sort of, you know, from a public school perspective, we want the parents to be involved as like adjunct, you know, disciplinarians, if, if that's even possible (laughs) anymore uh, that, you know, you know, so we, we want them involved when it's, when it's appropriate for the teacher to have the parent involved, but when it's not appropriate to have the parent involved, they're just like, oh, you know, if, if I don't need your help for this little, like, little school party that we're having, you know, please, please no. Whereas running different age school environments, it's like, I think actually it'd be awesome if parents just showed up and like participated in the learning environment. It will be awesome. Cause it, because 
every new person, whether they're small or whether they're big or, you know, every new person Mm -hmm. adds some new perspective to the learning environment that you just like, well, you can't replicate that with a YouTube video. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to replicate like you, you want that beautiful interaction of that, that you couldn't have necessarily planned for, but you get out of all of these different personalities and what better way to teach kids how to critically think than to build authentic experiences of them interacting with totally wildly different personalities and different perspectives and all of this stuff. Just to say, Oh yeah, go for it. Yep. Bring it in. Yeah. You know, and I mean, that's, the, the grief of you know, sort of wanting something or knowing your, what could be possible if things were just a little bit different, but not having the resources or, or capacity to, to make it happen. And, and so I agree with Carl. I'm very grateful and, and encouraged by this endeavor that you've decided to, to jump into and that your husband was just like, yeah, go for it. I think you should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, so it's funny you guys touched base on the spending time with your own kids and being stuck with them all day or missing them all day or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, because when I had my son Fletcher, it was my second C-section and man, did it suck. <laughs> um, it did not go well. I opened my incision, which felt like a million times because I had stairs and couldn't avoid them. Wow. And I just went through a really awful postpartum depression experience and I didn't think I was going to be able to kind of come out from it. I I felt like that was it. That was what life was going to be. I wasn't going to connect with my brand new little boy. That is just the cutest thing in the world. And it sucked. I was like, I cannot connect with this baby at all. And I don't know what's wrong with me. And it just, it was awful. And so finally a couple months go by, I go back to work where I was at a childcare and I could bring them. And I was like, Oh, this is great. No, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I was so <laughs> miserable. I was, I would come home and my husband's like, it's so great. You get to hang out with him all day. And I'm like, he screams at me all day. Cause he doesn't want anybody else. And it's like, it wasn't fun for me. I didn't like it. And, you know, I was still going through this postpartum stuff and I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. So fast forward, I leave and I start this. And I mean, before all that, my postpartum had passed and gone and I connected with my baby. Happy endings. Yay. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, it has changed our relationship. And it's funny because, you know, people say it's a baby, like, what could change with you and a baby? Well, so much has changed because just demeanor and everything. And it's, I enjoy this so much. And that was one of my biggest fears during that time. And, you know, what's kind of held me back from it was what if I don't want to be with my kids all day? Like, what if I absolutely hate it? Like I, you know, did during maternity leave, which maternity leave is not a thing in America, by the way, everybody. Um, I love you. Love you too, buddy. Yeah. Superstar. (laughs) Hey, we, we heard that you really help your mom clean up at the end of the day. So good job. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. 
cool man right, hi you. <laughs> good night yeah he's so funny um yeah so it's it's changed i mean i love every second of hanging out with my kids and how excited like my littlest is when he sees me in the morning and it's it's night and day night and freaking day and you know i was worried about you know social Realization with him too, not being at my, the childcare I was at. Cause that's why I wanted him to be there also, you know, for exposure to other people and other children and different environments. And I was like, he's going to be here with me and it's going to be awful. Like it was there. Well, it's not, it's actually really amazing. And he right. has made such the sweetest little friendships. Like these kids will just go over and like, like love each other with their foreheads wow. and they it's, get it's, so it's, it's his home, right? Yeah. Like he's exerting yeah. host. Like, like think about the small percentage of human beings at such a tender age. It'll be really fascinating <laughs> to talk to you 20 years from now. Like, <laughs> because, because as a host, you know, and, and, and I begin to see a little bit of like, how my kids are able to be host and share me when people come to our, our home, you know, and I can draw lines and connections, you know, like, but never in this way, like, and we're really talking about the, the age that you're working with and creating experiences with is the most important age ever if anything when when ron was talking about the titles of child uh child care versus educator or so on and so forth like if anything there's such an em embrace that needs to happen of no i get to be with children from zero to four there's a lot happening yeah, yeah. T teach your Greek myths to the seventh graders, you know, like major brain development is happening here and I'm responsible for it to make sure that it happens in a good way. My gosh. Seriously, it's like, I'll just get them ready for you guys. No biggie. No biggie here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I mean, and that's sometimes where, you know, I think more about school. I'm like, oh my God, am I screwing this all up? for everybody, but I know I'm not. It's just, it's those little voices that are just like, try to bring you down, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> One of the things that I was thinking about before our podcast tonight is just considering the amount of financial investment that our culture has on, say, higher education compared to compared to early childhood. I think it's, wow. a, it's an interesting thing wow. that, um, that we place so much weight on, you know, getting kids college ready, but we still don't quite have a grasp of how important that investment is in zero to five. We're beginning to have rhetoric around it. Like people are talking about it but it's not really being demonstrated on a wholesale basis where um, certainly if you're, if you're affluent enough to make different choices within your community, and if your community actually has different choices, I mean, you just popped on the map 
in November, you know, what did your community have to choose from prior to that? You know, you know, so you're, you're one more example of, of a different choice that parents can make. And I think that what we need is more people taking that risk and saying, you know, this, mm-hmm. if we want our future generations to be better, what we need is for there to be better opportunities at this age. Right. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you start a school and, you know, quickly need to take on 400 students because you're the best option out there. It mean, means that we need more people to say, no, I'm going to devote my time and energy into making this a possibility, not only for my kids, but for a few other kids in our community. And mm-hmm. what would a generational shift look like if that, if there were more of those opportunities uh, for kids at that, that age, when the average, you know, cost per year at a private school in college is 40,000 a year. I mean, like, (laughs) you know, and at a state school is half that, you know, like that's, those are the kind of numbers that we're dealing with is just like, okay, well, we're, we're so focused on that. And honestly, by that time, kids have either had a good education and been nurtured in early childhood. But, but by the time, you know, we're talking about readiness for college, it's like if we were just to instead reconsider that investment and say, um, look at how much money is spent on higher education. How do we segment that and say, let's rebalance this and, and, and talk about the actual most important years of child development, zero five, And let's make that happen really well. This is a tremendous question. I mean, you know, I like to say that my kids had a good early childhood education um, and and I was witness to it. And my biggest proof, like I, I didn't, I wasn't convinced of that until we came back stateside and put them in school. Uh And when I realized that their first experience of school in the United States, uh, I think it was second and fourth grade, you know, I don't know, six months in, they came back with like excellent grades and, you know, one went to gifted and talented and everything. I was okay. Like that was the first time that I felt like, okay, we did, we did a lot of good things. Right. But it's a really hard case for how important an investment in early childhood education is. The playing field has already been established of what's important and what's not. And early childhood education has been established as not important. The rhetoric, like you said, is there, but I have no idea how to even begin to put my foot in the door and say, so if the litmus test is, if you don't have your kids in this system, you know, until second and fourth grade, and then, and they've had this, what you've determined to be a, a great early childhood education, and then you put them in and then you're like, oh, they're thriving, right? Like, or they're super successful, right? Using the system as it is, as the basis for whether or not like a quality early childhood education happen, I think is a little backwards because 
the the system <laughs> is, is is operating at essentially the lowest common denominator uh, of any community uh, uh, that it existed. Right. You, so, you, so, you are the one that, that wins all debates with your children. Go on. Come on. Tell me. <laughs> so, so, no. So I'm saying um, what we need to do is find it's like, well, well, what if we took all of those elements? What if we said, you know what? What is a magical and successful and brilliant early childhood you know, experience? Well, what if we just expanded that all the way through high school? And said, well, what is like the best, what would what would have been the best middle school experiences for you to have? Like, like what would have been like the most like <laughs> idealistic, you know, high school experiences for you to have? And we look at those things, we look at how they're represented in media, and because the media is is telling us, is a mirror back to us of, of like what we think. You know, what we want out of high school is for the underdog to somehow get the popularity, you know, or or to strive against the popularity norms, you know, and the clicks and stuff like that. It's like, well, you well, okay, then you got to keep the clicks in place because then we don't have anything to strive against. If you just like communize every all, all of high school and you make everyone equal and there's no clicks anymore, then there's nothing to fight against. It's like, well, like those are some and I'm not saying we're going to solve those, those issues, today. <laughs> but, but, but the, well, re- I, let me frame like, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but status quo parent, you know, is like, I got to save up or at least move my career in a certain way so that we have enough to put my kid through college. That vast majority of parents would really benefit from a different narrative such as, Hey, let that be what it is. Invest now. Right. It could. And, and, and I'm going to go off on limbs here. Like, let's just say that, you know, we were like, look, let's, let's put 0% credits towards families that want to invest in really, you know, like quality education, blah, 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 and, and put all of their, put all of their money into the first six years of life with the guarantee that yeah, they'll, they'll get the scholarships for the schools or, you know, whatever. There's this monumental societal shift that would need to take place. Right, because and 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 we're up against this beast that is basically this. Early childhood education was great, and it's forgotten because the first grader took over, the first grade teacher took over, and then the middle school, and then the high school, and then because the senior English teacher was just so happened to put the cherry on the cake, sent them off to Ivy League. And that's considered the crime of the crime. Like, how do you tackle that? So, Christina, you can see that we're just as interested and uh, concerned about your 11-year-old as we are your (laughs) one-year-old. No, this is is amazing um, because you guys have touched on so many different points that I just... 
I could go off about. And it was funny, Ron, when you, you mentioned, um, it felt backwards the way he said, you know, that his, his child had children had a good early childhood education. So naturally when he said that, I'm sitting here thinking, oh, they must be so thoughtful and kind and such a good friend to all their buddies. (laughs) And and then he said something about good grades and I was like, oh, (laughs) Oh, right. geez. No, that's that's my point yeah and and we and we're, we're programmed for that we we have to understand that yeah like as alternative as we as any of us want to be like like I'm programmed that sort of programming is so ingrained like when my kids are not getting good grades this is typically what i do is i throw a rant that goes something like this High school is the least the bare minimum. Is the bare minimum. Heard, High school I've heard is that the, rant. Is is the least amount of work that you'll ever have to do in your life. If you can't get Figure good grades in high school, blah, 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 <laughs> right? Like I shouldn't have to be dealing with this, blah, 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 you know, because I mean, and I and I, I believe that that's true, but I also was in high school and I was just like, and it's partly because. I remember what it was like to be like, well, I could spend some extra time on this, you know, homework, whether it's an essay or whether it's math, or or (laughs) I could go skateboarding or I could go hang out with my girlfriend (laughs) or I could do this. And it's like, I would never take it for myself. Right. I would never go back and do it differently. I would never go back and spend more time on schoolwork. Yep. Never, never. Yeah. And And it's funny because my dad was a big go to college. You'll get nowhere if you don't. He's a good old truck driver my whole entire life. So, you know, he's like, you got to be your own boss. So you end up working like me all the time, nonstop, never sleeping, like la di da di da di da go to college. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I barely made it through high school, guys. You want me to go to college, too? (laughs) Didn't I show you guys something when I had a baby at 18? (laughs) (laughs) Here I am being my own boss. Well, I think so. One of the biggest challenges that our culture has with with the idea of college is is that the idea of college is not bad in and of itself. But when you take college as like the de facto, like all learning post eighteen only comes from college, right? Like that. That's kind of what we said. Right. And we have these other kind of alternative narratives that are kind of like, wake up, you know, if you want to make any money, go to it, go into a trade, right? Like we have these other things happen. And and I'm not saying that, that, that they, they aren't there, but still what I see from teaching at a high school level currently uh, is that there's still this like really intense preoccupation with like the only way that these people are going to make anything of their lives is to by going to college. And so what we don't have as a culture is a way to say, okay, how do we qualify learning? Let's, let's just qualify learning. It doesn't matter where you got the learning. How do we qualify it? That would be a much more sensible sort of approach because when someone shows up to, you know, we, we have these sort of things where it's like someone shows up to a English 101 class, but they've had, you know, maybe honors English or something in high school. And so they get to test out of 101. And we have these, these very controlled, you know, mechanisms for how to like, you know, get yourself out of a certain amount of education. What we don't say is like, well, 
we have the ability to letter in football or basketball or swimming or something like that. Um, what about the kid who's been busting his ass at the skateboard park for four years and has this amazing gift of both acrobatics, dexterity, and athleticism, but we have no way to qualify what that is in high school. We, we still say, oh, but you have to go to a PE class, right? That's the kind of bullshit that we're still oh, dealing with like on a societal level. And it extends into college. This is what I'm saying is like in less than three minutes of talking to you, it's like, I can tell you right now that I have never seen in all of the people that I've worked with, all the hundreds of people that I've worked with in, the, in early childhood, what designated a quality educator versus a non-quality, uh, you know, early childhood educator never had anything mm -hmm. to do with whether they, uh, with whatever they got in college, with whether they went mm -hmm. to college or not. It had to do with all of these other skill sets, all of these other perspectives, all of these other things that they're bringing to the table um, where, where it's just like, do you have compassion? Can you see through the eyes of a child? Do you have the physical capacity to put your body at the level of the child? Because that's actually a real big problem for a lot of people in in the like early childhood industry is that we have people that are working in these positions and they don't have the physical capacity to sit down on the floor. Yeah. Um, well, that's a big problem. <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know, we know we don't talk about it as a culture. We don't talk about that 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 being a serious problem. Right. We just say, oh, she, you know, that this person is, is really likes kids. <laughs> like, like that is what, like someone saying that I like kids is like, what makes the, mm. well, hopefully you all like kids. Right. <laughs> like, whoa, is, yeah. that what, is that what gets you in the door? Is that what gets you the job? Right. And hell? I've seen, I've seen that a lot too, as I kind of like was looking to see what's around in the nearby towns and within my town and, and, you know, and really just the state of Maine. And I, I look at the home, home child cares because, you know, that's, that's what I'm in. And I kind of want to see who else is out there. What are they doing? And right. there have been times where I sit back and I'm like, how is this person getting onto a child's level? <laughs> I couldn't answer that. And it's not like, I don't know, maybe they're very flexible. Maybe they're very strong still. No. But it no. just isn't. <laughs> they, they, really they, they see what they did was they had an entrepreneurial kind of hunch, you know, and, and it worked out for them. You know, when, back in the day when I, when I was doing like music, as a career, I would always like, we weren't that good, but we could make a living out of it. And I was always reminded of our shortcoming as a band when we would tour out of Pennsylvania and then play some show in Illinois, Colorado, and these 14, 15 year old kids would get on stage and just sound so good. Right. <laughs> and we're the, we're the headlining band. And I'm like, Oh, what the fuck 
are you guys doing? Get on, get in a van, but <laughs> but then the le- monumental leap of being like a great musician with talent, just feeling it, you know, and the four of you quitting your lives and getting into a van and actually saying we're gonna we're going to put gas in this because we actually have the capacity of charging and not driving 12 hours before we make 50 bucks. That's going to kill your band. Like you got to have some sort of business plan. Like when it comes into the world of education and that's what you've just wrangled in November, you said enough (laughs) is enough. I have a heart for children and I'm going to make a business out of it. You know, like that, that is a hard um, chemistry, um, to find. And, and, and it's again, why it's so exciting to, to, to hear from you on all of this, because you, you, you often have the, you know, the, the, the educator that is trapped, a oh, fuck you, fuck all of the educators that are trapped. Okay. <laughs> and then likewise, fuck all of you entrepreneurs that are not educators and you're making business out of, like caretaking children fuck all of you too you know this is like really great stuff right yeah. the the opportunity of having somebody that said well as a family we're going to venture down this line and also give in a communal way this experience for others it's absolutely beautiful yeah thank you i agree i'm i'm super excited and it's i have endless endless amounts of just plans and ideas. And it's God forbid, thank God I'm not painting my, like the room where is like where most of the stuff is like the, I'd say toys, but it's mostly like climbers and stuff like that. But I could paint that room over and over again. I just have all these (laughs) ideas and I'm like, oh, they'd love this. They'd love that. But it's, I'm really trying to save the money for the outdoor stuff. (laughs) Right. 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 Christina, let me ask you a question because so the world of early childhood right now has a, and even creeping into um, to some degree as public schools offer more uh, early childhood programs, depending on the, on the state, the notion of play is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And I, I hear play-based and, you know, play focused and these terms that are supposed to be exalting the idea of play. And yet I see a stark absence of adults that understand how to play. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. <laughs> I want, I, I'd love to hear from you. Like if you were just to give a few tips. <laughs> to My people. biggest thing is, <laughs> is if you want kids to play, get out of the way, get out of the way. If we're sitting there and saying, Hey, this toy is a phone. That's, that's not them playing. That is us creating our own imagination and forcing it upon them. Uh And if we're involved by directing it in any sort of way, it's not play. Play is what they do on their own independently when they're creating, they -hmm. can come to us and tell us what their stuff is. But if we're like pushing ourselves and interrupting between two children who are independently playing or they're playing together. We're ruining that. We are ruining the play. We need to Mm. stay the hell out of it. (laughs) Let it happen. 
it needs to just happen <laughs> or else it's not fly. <laughs> now, I, I there's a part of me that wants to just jump on the bandwagon of stay the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> but it be, it really comes from just the disastrous scenario of population of adults that don't know how to play. Yeah. Where do would you draw the line or color in oh, a, a space for example like how do you model or take their play to a different level by saying you know like like if it's completely hands-off it can really become this like we talk a lot about like democratic schools and we we we, we give them a lot of shit yeah no um, that's but <laughs> but but when, but, but it, uh, i can i want to have this conversation at this level because i can really agree with it and yet at the same time i can also see myself like realizing like on a after day 13 well <laughs> we're going to stack things up and we're going to talk about up and I'm really yeah. fucking good at it. Right. Cause yeah. I'm going to bring in all this shit, you know, like what, what, what's that threshold for you of the hands off, but getting involved. No, let's reframe the question. How do you play with kids? <laughs> yeah, so easy answer. Okay. So without interrupting what they're doing, it's almost like, you join alongside them. You sit down with them and you kind of join in the play. Oh, this scarf, it's my new cape. Do you like it? Do you like this color on me? Does it look great? Does it bring up my eyes? And if we're, you know, outside, you know, there's mud. Oh, I'm going to make a mud cake. Do you want one of my cupcakes that I made with these like frocks and this grass and these flowers I found? It's like, you just be a kid again. You use your imagination, you get on their level. You don't stand above them. You don't say, you don't look down at them and be like, no, that's not a phone. You should use it as a, I worked at a place one time and these kids were using their imaginations and it was beautiful. And the person I was working under kept telling them not to play like that because that's not what it was. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't last long there. I didn't right, last right. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Thank oh, God man. you're not there. Yeah. Well, you know, like, and, and this reminds me a lot of like the emergent curriculum, right? Where, where like it's, it's being able to have the capacity to stay the fuck away just enough that you can observe. Right. But then being able to jo join or participate with a certain degree of capacity to steward another possibility, but that's in conjunction of what they're choosing to do in that moment or, you know, and, and, and I, and I love the way that you kind of came to my rebuttal, you know, like there yeah. is a certain point that's like, stay the fuck away, observe, right. Engage and exactly. realize that most likely your type of play won't be that good and continue right. <laughs> to try, try your best yeah. to play with them. Right. Yeah. It's, and that's exactly it. And, you know, it's one of those things that I think a lot of people think too hard about and which is fair because in a lot of places I've felt almost like forced, like I yeah. wasn't engaging enough almost. And I'm like, well, the thing is, is I'm trying to learn these kids first. I want to learn about them, yeah. how they play, who they are, what, what kind of sparks their imagination, what gets them to 
you know, join in other play when they're usually quiet and sitting by themselves? How can I, you know, help bring this all together without mm. ruining it? And mm. a lot of the times, you know, I, I did find myself kind of, you know, my, I'd have a boss tell me like, oh, you need to do this more. And I'm like, okay, well now it's forced. Now it's not really like, it's going to be hard for me to be like sincere about it almost. And it just, it messed with my flow of how I connect with kids. And it just wasn't for me. Right. Do do you have any examples of, uh, of other adults that you've seen that have played well, where you're just like, oh, that's awesome. Like Mm -hmm. all uh, of my old coworkers, like (laughs) they they are the most inspiring group of women ever. And they have, they taught me so much of what I know now and so much of what I didn't realize I needed for myself and for my own children. So it's like, I tell them so much. I'm like, you know, you guys helped make me into a better mother just by the uh, things that they taught me. Wow, and in wow. the short few wow. years that I was there, it, you know, I mean, this is not all me. This is all of my experience and the people I've come across and what they've had and like the impacts they've had on my life. And they are wonderful. They, they are big kids themselves. And it is (laughs) amazing to watch. It is amazing. So based on that, right? Like this group of women that knew how to play that opened you to a new world of what was possible as a mom, as an educator, was it hard to leave all of that? Like, what what was that transition like out of that? What were you leaving behind and, and why did you choose to venture solo? Like I can imagine the narrative if it was like, well, I've worked a bunch of shit jobs for childcare people that were enforcing all this stuff and I wanted to be a free educator. And so I opened a school in my home, but, but, but thankfully we can also say that, you know, the educator that I am like, you know, right now I'll just pay tribute to great educator in, in Esparza, Costa Rica that passed away um, this weekend. Um, And, you know, Senor Perez, was just somebody, and, and and I haven't even talked about this with Ron, but he knows uh, who I'm talking about. But Ron, the thing that I've been thinking about the most since Alvaro Perez passed away is that for the degree of brilliance that he had, I never, like, I now realize, you know, that I bitch a lot about shit that's not working in the system. This guy was just so positive and all he really did was fucking listen and validate and say, man, so thankful that you get to work with my grandchildren. Keep doing what you're doing. And he would come by and kind of look and then give a smile. Like he never fucking said like, I'm leaving Santa Sofia because it's full of shit. He probably left for that reason. I don't fucking know, but he was just such this man of like, like such positive energy. Anyway. Well, he um, he encouraged us to pursue the studio. Absolutely. And he not only encouraged us to do that, 
then he sent his grandchildren there. <laughs> so, yeah. so he backed yeah. it up. Um, yeah. And this is a man who started the local high school, um, then started a private school. I mean, he had his toe in the business of educating multiple generations of a small town. And yeah. um, that's how I remember him is that he was just positive. He was, yeah. he just said, you guys are doing great. This is what, this is what we need. Yeah. And <laughs> I think it's those simple phrases that change lives. Honestly, the community that I left behind was the hardest decision I've ever made. I cried so much. I, I think it was maybe recently I stopped thinking about it like night and day and just being sad because, you know, it wasn't just a wonderful boss and wonderful like coworkers that I had. There were amazing families that I really connected with. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they would come in day in and day out. I don't know how you guys do this. My kids love you. You guys are doing great. And it's like all those small phrases are what just really builds that community. And, and you can see that these parents trust you with helping raise their children. And it's Mm. just, you can't put a price on it. And it was hard, 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 hard to leave. And it was, but it was an hour commute. My son was in school an hour away. We had all these like scary, like shootings and threats and stuff like that within all these schools you know, that we constantly see all the time now. And it was kind of terrifying being that far away from school with him. So, you know, it was a lot that kind of came into play with everything and why I had mm-hmm. to leave. And mm-hmm. it's like, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, I regret it because I am the happiest I've ever been. <laughs> um, but I left like a second family behind. And luckily, you know, I I'm still in contact with everyone, including the families, but it was. Well, not- and really more power to you. I mean, I really want to highlight what I was getting at is that you left on a high note, you know, yeah. like you left feeling a part of something. And one thing that's tricky when with this whole thing about leaving is that you know you, you can you have all the autonomy in the world in in your school, but you don't have that community. There's there's something about having you know when you said this circle of powerful women. Oh man. Like I, um, I just salute you in that, you know, sometimes we have to go into things that are difficult and, and it's not always like for the better. There is some loss. There is some yin in the yang, you know, and, and, but it's beautiful with when what you lost is something that was great. And so you're lost, your loss is grief right? Um, Because grief is the celebration of what you had actually had. And, and so, you know, leaving a job that shit, I don't know, no big deal. All I had was the balls to leave in my case. And I don't know what you had, but leaving something that was beautiful and powerful and changed you as an educator, as a, as a mom, but you have to do it sometimes, you know, And, and, and you had to do that. And, and, and that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm hoping eventually, you know, I'll be able to rebuild my own little community out in Casco, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it was, it was a loss and, you know, I still feel it in my heart and I still miss them so much. And it's funny. We're only like, I mean, I'm only an hour from where they all work, but it's, it's yeah. hard. You know, Life yeah. is hard and it's busy and it's just, I just couldn't thank them enough for what they gave me in those few years. <laughs> That's for wow. sure. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Today at, uh, at the high school, we were discussing the myth of half boy um, which Carl knows really well, but it, it's this idea of, you know, you're born as half human and before you can find some, something or some, um, someone to partner with to then create something generative, uh, you need to work things out with yourself. You need to find your other half. Um, some cultures call it, uh, your soul, that you need to uh, refine your soul, and that that's really what those initiative rites of passage years are all about. And while the story is one of a boy who then finds, you know, his his future wife, and that's who he connects with, and then he's able to be generative of of um, procreating. It's really the this idea of anything that of value that you're going to produce has to have this thing that's worked out with you yourself first. And then when you go out into the world to produce something that the world actually needs, that will actually heal the world, that will make it uh, more abundant than it is right now, that the process of making that happen is one that works out in you yourself personally first, and then you create the the grandchild that is a marriage of two different things so that all of the grandparents of that thing uh, love it. And mm. we're talking about it from a, from the perspective of like, how do you, how do you find peace in a world full of polarization? how are you instrumental and modeling that? And so with, with originative, we, we look at mythology often as distilled wisdom from our ancestry and saying, you know, this is so important that it was passed down from generation to generation, to generation, to generation. And this particular um, myth from Borneo describes this process of, you know, if you're going to create the next thing to live in the world, as you have done with, with your new business, um, that you first have to go seek out and have the fight within yourself hmm. to figure out who you are and what's important to you. And then that battle ends with you realizing that what you need or what you have inside you is actually a gift for your community. And then you generate something that then mm-hmm. is the gift to the community. And it mm-hmm. sounds, it sounds to me like that's, it's a little bit of the process that you've gone through is that, yeah, you had to leave that thing, um, this beautiful mm-hmm. existence with these other women 
where you were validated, where you learned so much, where so much was modeled to you. But now you're at the point of being generative and creating the the next entity that is the product of all of that learning that you had um, within yourself and and amongst those other those other folks. And now you're giving that back to your community. And that that's mythic right (laughs) yes yeah um i'll piggyback that also referring back to bly in that one of the things i found was powerful is that he would say well do you want to be life preserving because that's a beautiful thing like we have enough people in this world that are just destroying and you know try to be try to be a life preserver and he said but and and just when you're about to buy into that whole thing he said but what i'd really want you to be is life generating (laughs) you know which was what which, which is what ron's talking about because if you were to have stayed then you would be preserving right uh the beautiful community that was there Mm-hmm. And and it would be good, yeah. But that you ventured off is the coined name of wildness yeah. that allows you <laughs> yeah, to sure. uh, to be that gift that generates far beyond the community that was already established and doing well. You you went and 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 you took in the best of ways something so that a ripple could continue. Um, and, and like I was saying, uh, far too often, that's not the case because we become life preserving and, uh, it's just beautiful to see that you in Casco have a whole new endeavor and, and that you're able to articulate and pay tribute to where that wisdom and beauty was coming from before. It's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's been an interesting ride. And I think my biggest fear, you know, as you know, I see so many people leaving the earth is like, what is my part here? Mm. Great. I donate, mm-hmm. I'll recycle, I'll do this and that. But what, what am I giving back? What am I leaving behind? What have I really accomplished outside of all the I can write my name. I can sing the ABCs. You know what I mean? It's like, I wanted to have true meaning, something in my life outside of my friends, outside of my family, because they all know how big my heart is. They know I can love them and take care of them forever and ever. But it's like, what can I do outside of that? What can I give people that I can be proud of at the end of the day that I can just really sit here and say, I know I'm finally on the right path. I am doing <laughs> what I love, literally what I love. Like, are there hard days? Yes. Are there really shitty days? Yes. Am I broke sometimes? <laughs> yes. But it's right. worth it. It is freaking worth it. It's, oh. it's just, it's been life-changing. These these last, I mean, and, and it didn't come easy. I mean, there was a lot of self self work I've done over the last couple of years in itself, you know, to even, you know, sit here and say, I can do this and I will do this and it's going to be great. So it doesn't happen overnight, but you know, it's happening. (laughs) 
I'll just say that, you know, not that I would want you to build a college program out of that, but if you could teach a few more people, to, <laughs> how would you? right? We'd be we'd be on a on a different track. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 that's within the plan, right? Yeah. You yeah, have got so much to give, and it would be good for some younger women uh, to be amongst your passion um, that we've been able to witness just through the microphone and this Zoom call. It's evident. It is missing that fortitude, that mm -hmm. resistance to all of the no's and the imposter syndromes that want to like take over our, you know, soul. And you've just, yep. you know, cast that away. Um, younger women would do well to be be under your wing well, well um, she's already got a young gentleman who's watching everything she does yeah. <laughs> and yeah. picking things up yeah. little by little <laughs> yeah well and not to mention like um the the parents that you get to work with in early childhood it's such a beautiful relationship to begin to establish of trust I mean, you know, cuz i've been able to work middle school and also high school like you're you're dealing with a lot of jadedness if you're the ninth grade english oh. teacher and you meet the parents from a 101 like who the fuck are you don't yeah. be, don't be a fuck, you know, like, but, but in early childhood education, all of that's kind of a little bit by the wayside and you have an opportunity to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I also want to be a friend and I want to be part of the conversation of moving your kids along. And that's such a beautiful additional gift um, than just being able to work with the kids. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's amazing. You can't, you can't put a price on it and, I keep thinking of this whole entire thing as an investment and it's not even an, a financial investment. It's just my own self, the things I'm getting from it, the things I'm able to give people and just, I, you can't get this anywhere else. You really can't. If like, if you're not doing your passion, what are you doing? Can you share a little bit? Cause you've, mentioned it early on in this whole time we've been talking I've been wondering how can I squeeze this in but <laughs> I want to hear more about your grandma oh my god they're so cool so <laughs> it's Allie and Evelyn and they have been my goddesses throughout my whole life so they do um, a bunch of shaman work and like spiritual work she has a few books out um, and they've just always seen this part of me. I've never seen this part of me. This has been hiding for so, so long. And every time they would see me, it would, they could see it and they would tell me they see it. And they never, ever let me forget that this little Christina exists and she's there and she's, she's going to come back out. And I just, they've changed my life. And when I was pregnant with my first son, Anthony, you know, it was not a great situation. Obviously I was 18. What situation is good when you're having a baby then, you know, and my Grammy Allie just said to me, she's like, this little baby is just a light. He is an old soul and he is just this ray of light and I can see him. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. 
And sure enough, a couple of years go by of having Anthony and he is, he is just like, he, that boy has got a heart on him bigger than you could even imagine. And it's, it's something seriously special because she always said it to me through my whole pregnancy. And it's like, it's funny seeing it in real mm-hmm. life, in real time and just mm-hmm. they're right. But um, yeah, I mean, they've always kind of connected me with my spiritual self, I guess you could say. And I think having that has kept me staying true to myself and not fully losing who I am. Yeah, I think that what I've learned as the conversation has moved on this evening is that, yes, uh, Higher education is one route, but you had a circle of women at a previous uh, employer, and then you had these grandmas um, channeling all of this feminine energy into you being, you know, ready and willing to open up your home to, you know, six, seven families that are ready to say, oh, we, we're going with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the fuck does some degree matter? You know, right. um, you can go through whatever you want to go through, but, but you have the blessing, the blessing, because you didn't ask for it. You didn't like really look for it. It kind of happened to you and you have the ability to pay tribute to all of that. And, and that's, those are your credentials those women before you and I buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's so funny. It's so funny. You just said that because I was texting Brandy earlier tonight and I was like, man, I'm so fucking nervous. What am I even going to say? I was like, I had to literally tell him I'm winging it because I've sat here like over these last two weeks. I'm like, I need to write something. I need to prepare. I need to read a book. And then I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. She's like, Christina, be yourself. They'll see you. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So cool. So cool. This has been truly, truly beautiful. Uh, You've been under the weather a little bit or what's been going on? It's not going away. It's not. (laughs) So everyone, all, all of the little humans all started with diarrhea and it has not gone away for anybody. And it was fever after fever. And then my oldest got it, husband got it, and he never, ever gets sick. And so when he goes down, I'm like, shit, I actually have to like cook dinner tonight. Crap. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it is just that circle, circle, circle. And finally, I'm feeling all right. Husband's great. Oldest is great. Littlest is back down again today. He, mm-hmm. we were outside today and he just looked at me with, a look like why are you dragging my ass outside right now mom and i'm like <laughs> we're going to get that fresh air that we need <laughs> well here's my thought on on hearing of it a little bit and this is a popular topic hot topic for the day but um you know your your family like by opening up your home in this way now if you had told me that alone i would have been like and I didn't know that you just opened your business in November, I would have been like, huh, that's weird. The immune system that your 
developing right now. I I know this. Like, I, I mean, like we've been stateside where people are like vaccine frenzy, hungry. Like, come on, can somebody inject something at me? You know, like, um, like, like in all theory. My kids that have not been exposed to all of the influenzas and stuff here in Maine should be sick all the fucking time. And they're the last ones to drop. And if they drop, it's for like, you know, maybe 13 minutes and and boom, right? And really, like, if I look at things, it's that, well, we were immersed in like kindergarten experiences as a family like we used to have sleepovers and we reached this point where we're like just invite all of the friends and so we would have (laughs) sleepovers like 13 kids would come over to our house anyway like my point in all of this is that your your home is becoming this place where it can be seen like like yes people are getting sick but also like the amount of immune system booster that is being developed is you know like i don't look little at that any of that so it'll be really interesting like of course you got to go through this phase right right? but like three years from now my god like (laughs) i know and silly me like the first month nobody was sick and i was like and everybody was sick online they're like oh we have this awful bug did i like we're fine. I just opened a childcare in my home. This is great. And then it was boom, fucking knocked me on my ass. I'm like, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I just, we're going to be so healthy at some point. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I really believe that. It Seriously. I no, swear no. to God, it works. It will work. No, it w- will. Every group is an organism in and of itself. And that organism processes all of those uh things you're you're just in a place of biological learning that's it yeah Yeah. and these kids none of them have been anywhere other than home and maybe their grandparents other than that they've all been home so it's like this makes sense yeah and i love what ron is saying like you're becoming one even as you know like physiologically right immunologically you're becoming one and people don't want to really talk about that. Like I can imagine you've gone through some rough spots. Am I right? Like when everybody's like, why is everybody getting sick? You're this is wild or is this wildly fucked up? Like, <laughs> like you've got to like deal with repercussions, you know, every now and then there's so much pressure to like- luckily everyone's been really understanding and they're, they uh, like expected it. So I think uh-huh. they've heard all the war stories of when their kids start childcare in school okay, and just Good. how it goes. So yay there. Um, but you know, it's <laughs> beginning, who knows, somebody might yell at me in the coming months. <laughs> wow. Good. Good. And, th- and there can be nothing more like reassuring than, than, and, and, you know, you've got some parents that are understanding and the communication yeah. is there and just sounds like you're, you're living the life and uh, wow. How exciting to have you with us uh, for this first chapter. We're going to have to have you back to hear all of the heaven and hell stories. Oh Uh, my God. We embrace them all. It it has been a pleasure for us to get to know you, Christina, and to, to hear your insights and your wisdom and your, all of the adventure of your new endeavor. 
Yeah. Thank you. This has been way better than I thought it was going to be because I was so nervous. <laughs> there's, there's, there's one thing, one thing that I want you to leave on. And, and I know that you have it in you, but you know, um, maybe somebody listened through this and is sitting on the fence and they're like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to do this, but they're feeling that burn that you did, um, for doing your own thing. And, uh, what, what would you want to, what would you want them to hear? Jump, do it. Absolutely do it because man, if you have the desire and you have the passion and, and you feel it, you need to just take that jump. It is scary. It's going to be sad. If you're leaving really great places, like I had to, you might cry. You might feel defeated on some days and think, shit, I can't do this. And mm. there's been a lot of times where I'm like, oh my God, people are trusting just me with babies. And I'm like, mm. okay, <laughs> shut up. It is fine. I've been a parent for almost 12 years. <laughs> do it. You just, if there is something you love and you want to do it, trust yourself. You have to stop saying you can't do it and that it's not going to be good enough and you can't compete with all the other people out there. Just mm. be you, be different. And fucking work hard. Put your heart into it. Like, who cares what money you have? If you're putting your heart into it, it will work and it will happen. And think of a really good name. Absolutely. You <laughs> have a great name. Get those notes open on your phones, people. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining in on another episode of the origins podcast we have had the privilege the honor the delight of having christina from casco maine an owner and head mama chief of the children of the wild with us everyone please have a good night thank you christina for being with thank us we look you. forward to having you again yeah yes thank absolutely you. have a good night guys all right